Welcome to the Video Insiders Podcast. I'm Carlos Pacheco. And I'm <coughs> Tom Martin. <laughs> <laughs> and we're Such two. Bad. Such and bad we're, taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we're two self-isolating, social distancing, grizzled YouTube veterans with hundreds of thousands of billions of trillions of views between us. We're here to give you our two cents on the business and behind the scenes of YouTube, a new strategies insight and a sprinkling of depressing snark. <laughs> what's going on with you, Tom? Yeah, well, I was going to say, what's the word on the street? But yeah. we're, not, we're not allowed out on the street. Let's talk well, about the weather. Yeah, well, actually, it's, it's nice. It's nice weather here in uh, Essex. Uh, just Are outside you allowed of to London. go out? We are allowed to go out. We're not on lockdown, but um, as of today's recording, um, we are expecting imminent news of lockdown. Yeah, uh, yeah, according to the rumor mill, but the rumor mill is it's pretty thick and fast at the moment, so no one really knows. But um, supermarket shelves empty. Yeah, pretty quiet. But um, life yeah. life goes on pretty much in London so far, yeah. apart from uh, apart from pro sport, which is pretty much non-existent anymore. Yeah, you're right. It's the new the new world we live in. As you can guess, we're recording this. It is the intro. We're basically March 20th today, I think. Yeah, March 20th. Just to let you guys know, we tend to record our intros sometimes separately from our interview shows. So there is a little bit of a time difference. So obviously we don't talk about it during the interview show. So just just a quick note on that one. But before we get started, we want to obviously thank our wonderful, wonderful sponsor, TubeBuddy. Take your channel to the next level with TubeBuddy. TubeBuddy is a tool that I use every single day when I manage YouTube channels. It gives you the tools to boost subscribers, views, and engagement. One of my favorite features is the bulk copy processing feature. I just love that. And it always impresses my clients when I talk about it. And they're like, what? I can update a hundred videos or thousands of videos at a time. Actually, I think there's a limit. <laughs> there's a 500 uh, video limit, but still, I think there's a special request just to let you know. Anyways, it's an awesome tool for uh, building YouTube channels. Tom, how can people sign up? Yeah, if you're not already using TubeBuddy, you can get a world-exclusive multi-channel discount license by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Thank you, TubeBuddy. Thank you very much, TubeBuddy. Tom, word on the street over here as well. I mean, we didn't talk about a little bit about me, but yeah, we're in full lockdown mode. We've been on uh, self-isolation for five days now, a full week as of this point. It's not really different from my day-to-day -day job in general. So obviously seeing everybody sort of like getting used to the new life is interesting. And um, I made a joke on Twitter about, you know, needing advice on how to work remotely just because it literally seems like everybody is giving advice on how to work yeah. remotely. Everyone's, everyone's the expert, but yeah, exactly. yeah. But, um, so are you self isolating just out of like good behavior or is, have you or wifey got some kind of symptoms where you, you kind of have to be self isolating? Oh, it's a good behavior. Okay. Our province is in emergency mode. So, you know, the streets are not empty, but they're definitely, you know, it feels like a holiday 
you know, it feels like the day after Christmas or, uh, or Christmas day type of situation on the streets. Uh, nobody's there. Restaurants are closed. Uh, you know, businesses are, sh- are shutting down. Major retailers are starting to shut down or limit hours. So it's getting really, really, really serious at this point here. So it's just fascinating to see. Yeah, I think we'll um, we'll keep our powder dry a bit on this yeah. this topic because we're going to definitely dedicate a episode talking about it and its impact on our industry. By the time you hear this, we may have already put it out. So check your podcast feed wherever you get your podcast to see if that already exists if not it will be the next episode after this for sure yeah and i wanted to just send a special note to nick nimmin a big thank you for him for putting us on a uh, podcast to listens a list recently and it really gave the podcast a little boost in uh, new audiences so welcome to the show new video insiders yeah, Niminati, represent. Thank you for Niminati. <laughs> yeah, of course. Tom, I had an interview with Brennan Gahn. Brennan is the founder of Epic Signal, a social first agency. It works with Fortune 500 brands and influencers, community building for campaigns. And it's been named Digiday's Digital Video Agency of the Year. Brendan is also an advisor to VidCon. And I've been following Brendan for many years and always loved his insights on Twitter and LinkedIn, you know, in terms of the uh, marketing industry, the influencer ecosystem. And I'm, I want to bring people onto this podcast that give a, give a different perspective from the marketing side of things so that people understand you know, how people think or how the marketing industry looks at the influencer or online creator ecosystem. And I think that benefits creators just understand the realities of people in that industry. So I wanted to have him on and he graciously came on. Yeah, I'd, I'd not really surprisingly come across brendan and his work before looking at his cv extremely impressive so really excited to hear what he's got to say but yeah very surprised that i've not not met him in person or virtually because you know our industry is a very very small one i think me and you have a very very strong overlap in our contacts and our our, our kind of circles so um yeah really interested to um hear brendan's take on the the influencer market not something that i've had a huge experience in personally kind of been on the fringes been involved in a few projects so really interested to see the opinion of someone who's not only experienced the rise and rise and rise and dip and rise and whatever it may be at the moment but also somebody who's still in the weeds today so yeah really interested to see what he's got to say yeah awesome so let's get to it just to remember that this was recorded before the craziness got serious so we don't really talk about it (laughs) interview let's get to it brendan Thank you very much for taking the time uh, after a red eye to come on a podcast. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> How are you feeling? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm a little bit frayed around the edges, but I, I think I'll pull it together for this. All right. All right. All right. All right. So, Brennan, uh, admittedly, I've been, you know, socially stalking you like I do many of our guests because I was realizing as uh, I released a recent episode, I was realizing I finally get to talk all these people that I've been admiring, reading for many years, and you're one of these people. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about, like, you know, who you are, your career path, because 
I find it has a little bit of similarities of myself where I spent a lot of time in advertising and then jumped into the world of YouTube. Albeit, I went more into YouTube side of things, whereas you went more into the influencer side of things. But talk to me a bit about, you know, what brought you to being who you are right now? Yeah, for sure. It was, um, it was pretty random, to be honest. So, I, you know, when I graduated from school, um, you know, I went to UC Santa Cruz. I, uh, I got an internship in advertising up in San Francisco. And uh, this was 2005. You know, this is right when social media is starting to pop off and everybody in the office would come around and be like, what's the deal with like MySpace and all this stuff and, and kind of just being the, the young guy in the office. Like I, I was the de facto resource for uh, kind of like all things social media. And um, it was really, it was fun. Like I enjoyed it and I love talking about it. And, and at the same time I would like hear about the budgets and like a, a billboard and I'd be like, how the, how the hell are you paying tens of thousands of dollars for a billboard when you can go and do stuff on like YouTube or MySpace or whatever and, you know, know that has an impact. And um, really my first kind of like actual foray into doing something in this space was uh, in 2006 um, when I was at this agency, they'd since hired me. Um, I heard the partners talking about how they were going to decline um, this piece of business because the client didn't really have much money and it wasn't worth their time. And uh, I just kind of happened to be behind them. And I like turned around and I was like, hey, why don't we, uh, you know, I know it's not a bunch of money, but why don't we pitch the idea of like uh, paying some YouTubers to do a piece of branded content um, around the brand? And um, they're like, yeah, sure, you can pitch it to them. Um, and so... Uh, basically we, you know, the client bought it, um, and we ended up, you know, I emailed Smosh, who was my idea for like the, the influencers we should work with. Wow. Um, this is like early, early days and like, yeah. and, um, yeah, we put it together, you know, they, they drove down from, you know, they're from right outside of Sacramento. So they drove down one day and we just met, hashed it out in a conference room over, you know, 30 minutes and we're like, all right, cool, let's do this. And, um, it just crushed, like it got millions of views. It broke the brand's website, you know, because <laughs> of all the traffic. And I was like, this, this is huge. Like, I love this. Yeah. This is so exciting. And just kind of took it from there. Yeah. I feel like that was sort of like the heyday of like, you know, experimental and like the creators were just, um, you know, way more. Well, I mean, obviously they were like anybody that's paying attention. They're like, Hey, yes, definitely. <laughs> I think, yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it was an exciting time. And I still think it's an exciting time. It's yeah. just, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. Right. For sure. So it, it mirrors a lot of my experiences as well, where, you know, experimenting with influencers and stuff like that. And obviously you moved on, you went into full screen, which, you know, is one of the big MCNs uh, of the day. What was your role there? Yeah, for sure. And I guess maybe just kind of filling in the blanks. So, you know, I did that activation and, and that was awesome. And then from there we did, uh, I joined mechanism and we continued to do a ton of influencer deals and influencer networks and for years and years I, I did that for another um six or seven years and we did early viral videos and branded content and stuff and then and then yeah from from um, my role 
at Mechanism, where I continued doing uh, influencer marketing stuff, went to uh, Full Screen, which was, uh, I, I'm, I think my title was, um, I forget my title actually, but, <laughs> but, but it was, um, we, we, you know, I worked basically. Vice President of, of Brand Strategy. Okay. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Um, did a few things there, um, worked a lot with like sales um, and integration, like the, the the talent side of things and developing kind of like influencer marketing programs um, that made sense. Um, and then also did a lot of work on the channel strategy side of things. So um, there was a big portion of the business that was also like helping brands optimize their YouTube channels and implement best practices. So it was really those two buckets, you know, doing a lot of influencer marketing and then helping brands on more of the service side um, in implementing best practices. Great. Yeah. I had a couple of meetings back in the day with uh, George and back in the day when, you know, a big channel would get wooed by the CEO oh, yeah. and like, yeah. trying to join and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I remember those days. Um, yeah, <laughs> obviously you were in it. So, you know, one of the questions that we're often uh, addressed is as a, a video and online creator is, you know, the rise and fall uh, of these MCNs and like, do you have a perspective on that? I mean, I don't remember if uh, did you leave as things were sort of like it was. I remember full screen was sold. What happened over to the, you know? So, and I don't want to say like what happened for you to leave, but sort of like your perspective on how that industry came and it went a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think <clears throat> speaking broadly and not you know about any one MCN specifically, um, I, I think a few things happened. I wouldn't point to one specific thing, but I think it really comes down to three things. Like one is there was a real lack of competitive moat for, for most MCNs. Um, there was also a lot of overhead that they took on and a lack of focus. So resources ended up being spent and, um, you know, the MCNs were spread thin and burned through a lot of cash. And then also I think there was this resentment and backlash that came back and kind of bit uh, the the ecosystem in the ass, basically, and kind of breaking mm -hmm. that down a bit, you know, at the end of the day, the, the MCNs were basically, you know, ad networks where, you know, yep. the, they could roll up these channels into a central CMS and that would allow them to direct sell ads across the channels. Now, I think the big challenge or problem with this was at the end of the day, like a brand can go and buy ads direct from YouTube you know, on the auction or in upfronts. And so the reality is, um, you know, a few MCNs were really direct selling that ad inventory. Um, mm -hmm. and, and oftentimes it was just being sold automatically through the auction. <clears throat> so they weren't necessarily bringing a ton of value to a lot of creators. Now, obviously this is a broad statement, you know, um, mm -hmm. But, but I think this is a, a general, uh, a, a common challenge that a lot of MCNs faced. Obviously, in addition to that, you know, and just selling the, the ad inventory, there was the whole brand integration component. Um, and so, you know, MCNs were direct selling uh, influencer, you know, brand integration deals. But the challenge there is they also didn't necessarily have a kind of a competitive mode. They didn't necessarily have exclusivity, um, you know, talent could be hit up any number of ways, you know, mm -hmm. you could deal, you know, if uh, an influencer was signed to an MCN, it didn't mean that they didn't also have 
a talent manager weren't represented by WME or UTA or mm -hmm. CAA. And so um, they didn't have that exclusivity per se. And so um, I think that really diluted things quite a bit. Um, and then from kind of like the, the uh, overhead standpoint and kind of like the lack of focus, a lot of these MCNs raised a lot of money. Um, awesomeness raised, you know, 162.5 million or something like that. I think yeah. Maker raised 65 million. I, I don't know what the others raised, but you know, they, they were all ra raising tens of or hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think they felt a lot of pressure to, to spend that. And as a result, they, there weren't necessarily a lot of really tactical, um, ways those dollars were spent oftentimes, you know, like you saw a lot of these, uh, MCNs launch, uh, OTT platforms or S VODs, you know, maker bought blip TV, collective bought meta cafe, full screen launched their own OTT platform. Um, a lot of these MCNs expanded into, you know, any number of things like awesomeness, uh, you know, did the music division, movies, book publishing, they're in TV and production. So they were doing a lot of different things. And then on top of that, they were putting a lot of money, you know, and you referenced it early on in the, those early days, they were doing these big upfront deals with talent um, mm -hmm. where, you know, every MCN wanted the big, you know, roster of the, the, the best known talent at the time. And um, so basically what they would do is, um, you know, they'd go to, you know, the, the top talent and their managers and say, hey, we're going to give you a minimum guaranteed deal where if you sign with us, you're going to get, you know, X, you know, hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars. And this is your minimum guarantee. And we're going to try and sell against that. If we don't sell against that, you still get to keep the money. And um, so a lot of talent would sign on to, uh, you know, whichever MCN would essentially write them the biggest check. And mm -hmm. that's not necessarily a sustainable business model because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the MCN may or may not recoup those dollars. And, and oftentimes um, I don't think they did. And then, you know, of course, you know, touching on kind of like the resentment and backlash that occurred, you know, there was, a long tail of creators who were signing up to MCNs. And I think early on there was that allure of like, Oh, if I'm part of an MCN, I've made it. But, <laughs> um, you know, it, it became a land grab at a certain point and, and smaller and smaller creators were getting signed. The MCNs couldn't necessarily service the, you know, no. talent. So, you know, yeah, you had a lot of these MCNs having, you know, averaging hundreds and hundreds of, of channels per employee and so the, the the talent wasn't necessarily being represented or have a real great point of contact or um, being serviced but was still handing over you know 20 30 percent of their revenue and, and not necessarily getting anything in return and um, as a result you know um, in I think it was in 2013 you know, YouTube changed their policies. I can't remember what exactly it was called, but they made it much easier for creators to opt out of MCNs, yeah. kind of changed it from like managed channels and, and so on. And so, um, 
you know, I think that was really in a lot of ways kind of the first sign and, and, and the beginning of the end. But uh, that, that's my, my take on it. I, I do want to caveat that I think the MCNs that did a good job generally stayed very niche and very focused and, and focused on serving a core group of talent. And, and there were some um, great groups out there that, that did do that. I think the collective is probably, you know, which is now Studio 71 was probably the one that kind of jumps immediately to mind is one that created maybe a little bit more of a, a sustainable business model. Yeah. Oh, wow. I haven't heard uh, the word the collective in a long time. <laughs> As usual in these type of interviews, I may, I bring in my anecdotes, but oh, yeah. like for me, like one of the first deals I did was with uh, revision three at the time. And, you know, we had a two, 3 million subscriber channel. So you're talking about like seven years ago and, you know, got that minimum CPM, which was yeah. brilliant brilliant for us and i sort of knew that they were hoping that cpms would get higher and they'd be able to sell which they weren't able to do that yeah seeing that that ecosystem and just seeing the lack of transparency is also one of the things mm -hmm. that caused that animosity right a little bit of my story is is that i tried to create an mcn in canada at the time there wasn't many and the the us mcns weren't here and a production company was like, yeah, we should do it here. And then, you know, we quickly saw that the model didn't work. And production companies, they're like, they're not into spending money. So, yeah. and I'm not a startup type of person. So I was, I mean, in terms of like, I wasn't going to go out there and pound the pavement to raise money. That sort of side of things was sort of very interesting. You brought back some memories in terms of all the OTT platforms that were on. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about those. They went nowhere. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it's it was a fun a fun ride, and there's still a few out there that are still doing the same same tricks, you know, and obviously trying to sort of scrape the bottom at the end of the day. But you know, it's 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 really interesting to see how that came and went. And also, as usual, when it comes to Google, they won't do anything. There, even there, where there's an opportunity right in front of them, and then somebody will build something on top of it, on top yeah. of their. And then they'll be like, you know what, we're going to Sherlock you and just take away that business and get bring it internally. So or yeah. find a way to like eliminate that. So that's very typical of, of Google type of behavior. It, and I think along those lines, I, I don't think they really realize kind of like that loophole that they unleashed where, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, you, you know, I don't think anybody could have anticipated that you know these these MCNs would just try and sign any channel, and and I think that's really where it kind of got so out of hand. Like they're you know they're promising kids you know, hey yeah join with us and you know give us twenty percent of your AdSense or thirty percent of your AdSense and everything's gonna be gravy. And it's like no, what ended up happening was usually the, the kids ended up handing twenty to thirty percent of their AdSense over and didn't really get a lot. No, in return. Yeah, and, and what I wanted what I wanted to do differently is I wanted to actually support the creator and yeah. find you know the small ones who, you know, or even the big ones. It's fascinating to see how the big ones are are very focused on their content, but they're not very focused on their optimization, and uh, because they've done really well with their content, and they never sort of thought about it. And up until you know, the, it's the reason I have a job right now where big channels just come to me and they're like, "Hey, you know, we just realized we don't have anybody doing SEO, and you know, we've run this game for the past you know five six years, and 
it's been doing great, but now we sort of want to make sure that we're optimized. So yeah, that's where I thought there was a, a missing opportunity in the MCN side of things. It's sort of turned around where uh, instead of the MCNs paying YouTubers, you get YouTube channels paying MCNs to manage yeah. their channels. Right. And, you know, I have a couple of companies I work with that pay high fees to, to get uh, somebody to manage their channels. And some YouTubers need that support as well. So it's really interesting how that's shifted around. You are probably one of the most bullish people that I know in the world <laughs> of <laughs> influencer marketing. And, you know, for me, I was very bullish on it. I'm a little bit more reticent than I was just because of the abuse yeah. more than anything else. What's your perspective on how things have changed over the last, you know, I would say five plus years at this point? Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, and I totally am bullish on it, but I, I, I do want to caveat that it's like, I think, um, I mean, influencer marketing is like a very broad term and, yeah. and it's kind of like, it's almost like saying like, oh yeah, I do advertising. Some is good, some is bad. And I, and I, I definitely recognize that. But I, I mean, I, it, it, you know, just going back to like that, even that, that first execution, I always like remember that. And it's like, you've been able to kind of like re repeat the, you know, those hits and, and, and the um, uh, results time and time again. It's the only thing I've seen kind of just like consistently. It's like, you, you know, going into it, you can knock it out of the park. So I, I love it, but um, it, you know, I think this is a great question. And, and um, you know, in terms of the last five years, I think the thing that's really interesting is like, it, it, you know, um, like five years ago at uh, YouTube's Brandcast, John Green was like the big speaker that YouTube brought out, and his message to brands was, you know, YouTube stars are building a world without you, and you know, he didn't say why brands should advertise on YouTube, but instead say, you know, what will happen to you if you don't? And, and <clears throat> he, he pointed out, um, you know, very uh, prophetically, you know, that um, these communities have value, whether or not the ad dollars are going to be there. And, and, um, and, and uh, these communities are going to develop their own ways of monetizing and, and brands should invest in this and participate in this um, or they're going to miss out. And I think that's really in a lot of ways happened. Um, you know, today when I talk to, you know, buddies that are influencers or, you know, talent managers and stuff, the, the ad revenue portion of the kind of pie, um, you know, the revenue pie is, is pretty small nowadays. Um, you know, whereas like five, 10 years ago, it was like 80, 90%, you know, maybe a creator would have some merch or that kind of thing. But nowadays it's like creators are investing in their own brands and, and they're just crushing it. Um, you know, H3H3 has their Teddy Fresh line. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, last year, you know, Jeffree Star and Shane Dawson, you know, selling a million uh, uh, conspiracy theory pallets in 30 minutes, it, it kind of is like the benchmark everybody's kind of looking at. And you know, they, they took down Shopify. They set in-store records for uh, Morphe, who is their um, 
uh, you know, makeup uh, partner. Um, David Dobrik, you know, at the end of last year, launched his disposable camera app, you know, FaZe Clan and the Champion Partnership, you know, when they did their pop-up in Soho, like, I think it was 10 or 15,000 people showed up and um, they had to close down the streets. And then, um, it, you know, beyond that, we're seeing it in um, books, uh, you know, uh, influencers of had multiple books hit the New York Times bestseller list. We've seen it with music. Tons of uh, big stars nowadays are, um, you know, uh, influencers first. I, I, I'm good buddies with um, Charles Trippy, who who uh, has been in you know in the YouTube community since the very mm-hmm. early days, and he's the bassist in We the Kings and. Um, an album or two ago, they uh, they managed to rally their fan base enough that they actually knocked Beyonce off the number one spot <laughs> on, on on iTunes. And yeah. you know, Fault in Our Stars, you know, knocked off yep. um, you know the Edge of Tomorrow, which is a Tom Cruise film from the the you know number one in the box office. So like all this stuff, it's it's happening, and the creators are being really savvy and they're kind of like, they're not like sitting around twiddling their thumbs, waiting for a brand deal. They're just like, you know, this is their career path. They're using YouTube in particular, but obviously all the other platforms as a launch pad to, to build products, build careers, you know, generate a number of different revenue streams and um, develop their own brands. And, and so they're able to curate, and um, be far pickier about who they want to collaborate with and, and, and do it much more in their terms. Yeah, it feels like it's things are getting way more mature in a way, right? And it sort of brings back to the question of like, uh, it, it kind of has to because, you know, the FTC is paying attention to this mm-hmm. a lot closer now, which, you know, is a good thing, but also the reason why influencer marketing and and this type of almost I would call it almost edge marketing it's it's like you're 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 finding what I used to when I used to do marketing I used to think of like I want to find the cracks that people aren't thinking about and that's mm-hmm. your challenge right you're trying to find the things that people or brands or nobody's thinking about and trying to find the holes and that was sort of the influencer marketing space yeah. until the came along and now things are going to change a little bit do you think that the FTC sort of getting better at being faster at this because you know it felt before it felt like you know a new platform would go in and it would take them a while to catch up, and now it feels like they're you know they're already paying attention to TikTok pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just feels like the influencer marketing ecosystem is is going to be a lot more regulated as we go, and they're going to set up these sort of you know overarching branching uh rules to make sure that you know that doesn't run away from them the way it has over the last five years yeah yeah and and i think that's a good thing um, of course i i think you know the awareness is there i don't think anybody who participates in this place can space can plead ignorance and not know that you're supposed to disclose things which i think is really important i also think it, it kind of um as a result has this side effect of it, it forces brands to maybe think about their partnerships a little bit more and take it a little bit more seriously. And I think hopefully that will continue to nudge the industry in the right direction and, and recognize um, it's it's not this kind of like throwaway thing, but it's something that's taken very seriously. And I think, um, you know, I mean, you, you kind of referenced it earlier, you know, there's 
good influencer marketing programs and, and there's bad. And, and I still feel like, you know, I, I don't know how many are good and how many are bad or how many effect, are effective and then how, how many are not. But I, there's definitely a lot that to me I look at and I feel like it just feels like a waste of time on yeah. everybody's part. Yeah. And, 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 you know, hopefully with all this, the byproduct is, you know, um, brands will just be a bit more methodical about how they approach things and, and, you know, kind of taking it a step back and, and thinking about not just how the FTC is going to impact things, but kind of how hopefully that the industry evolves. I, I think the thing that, you know, I think would be great to see is, you know, more brands and creators really developing uh, thoughtful long-term partnerships because this kind of like one-off throwaway culture, which, you know, is still a part of the, the you know, influencer marketing ecosystem in particular with so many of these um, kind of influencer marketing platforms like you know, FameBit, et cetera, where you can kind of go in and people can opt in to, to just, you know, hey, yeah, I'll, I'll do a one-off about this based off of a couple bullet points. To me, it seems like that dilutes the trust for both the brand and uh, uh, the influencer. And I, I, I don't really understand why um, so many brands go about doing it that way. I feel like, you know, if you're going to have somebody go out there and represent your brand, I mean, you at the very least want to have a real conversation with them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, for me, uh, as you know, somebody who was in the marketing uh, space, it's amazing. It's like, you know, 10 years later, they're still thinking campaign thinking, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. And that's one of the lessons that I always try to sort of bring to even brands that I work with, right? It, it, it's sort of like, why do you keep thinking like a campaign and you jump into the, you jump into the ecosystem, then you disappear and instead of creating a long-term relationship for both your, your audience and your, you know, your collaborators. I used to be a media planner and, you know, one of the, the most frustrating things for us is we'd say like, Hey, who, you know, let's get a X artist to work with us. And that'd be, be like a completely, other department, uh, other way of thinking, and mm. you know, very co complicated. Whereas now the media department can be their relationship with with a creator, not be a like, oh, I'm going to call you in three months when I have a campaign, mm -hmm. or more like you know, like, hey, you know, there's constantly things happening, be involved. And there are obviously a lot of brands that are getting it, but yeah, a lot of brands are definitely just you know, jumping in, jumping out. And most startups are are probably you know one of the worst when it comes to this, they, they just jump in, they dump a lot of money on influencer marketing and then disappear when they run out of money. <laughs> but anyways, tangent here, I get into tangent. So, Oh no, no, I think it's great. I mean, just to, to add to that, I think, I think you're right. I think the campaign thinking is really at the core of it. And everybody wants to like make their mark and to like, just come in and hit a home run. And it's, it's a little bit, I think, at times a bit maybe ego driven, but if you think about it, like the best brands are built off of, um, you know, consistency and, and yep. it's, it's this compound interest effect, you know, it's like just getting it, refining an idea and making it a little bit better and a little bit better and a little bit better over time. It, 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 it that 
consistency in message, um, it has so much value. And um, I think that just applies to so many things in, in, in advertising. We, we want to put our own stamp on things versus uh, just kind of refining what may already work. And mm -hmm. I think we kind of like may overly complicate things for ourselves at times. Yeah, I have a particular disdain for the uh, brands that keep rebranding. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's right, like, you know, right. the only people who care about that is you. But that's totally. another my two cents. So Tom and I, you know, we talk a lot about creators who focus too much on views on a social platform when they should be thinking about building you know, sort of a product or building business beyond it. You sort of mentioned it before, right? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like like the new generation of creators is smarter? Like, it feels like TikTok has sped things up a lot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think broad strokes, I think that uh, creators have, um, yeah, sped things up. They, they, I think they've learned from like the previous generations of creators in a lot of ways. Not to say that, like, there aren't people um, who maybe aren't building sustainable businesses, but mm -hmm. I, I actually f get the vibe that a lot of creators, young creators, are thinking about it through the lens of a business much earlier and have kind of seen, you know, what others have done to get there. And so are just, like, kind of a lot of these learning curves have just been collapsed. And I think, you know, at its core, we see this, um, this, you know, trend where there's a recognition of the audience as kind of like the renewable resource. It's like the lifeblood of, of, um, you know, your, your business and, um, you know, views obviously are valuable and these vanity metrics are easy to kind of get caught up in. But I, I, if I was going to make a blanket statement, I'd say probably creators are getting savvier about um, building a direct line of communication to their fans and, and um, owning that audience more so that they can create something that's a much more sustainable business. And I think there's been you know, the, I think the platforms have made modifications and I think, um, you know, to, to help support that. And I also think there's been a lot of businesses built up to, to support that. So it's much easier now than it ever was. Um, you know, I think, uh, there was a great, uh, blog post that, um, uh, one of the partners at Andreessen Horowitz put out, uh, in early February, it's called, um, it was written by Lee Jin, and it was called 100 True Fans. Um, oh, yes. Yeah, and she was talking about how, like, you know, Kevin Kelly, you know, the I think he was, like, the founder of Wired or maybe the editor. You know, he, he was really early on in identifying kind of like, you know, in, in um, kind of coining the phrase a thousand true fans. You know, if, um, you know, you get a thousand people to pay you a hundred bucks a year, like, that's your fan base and you can make a living. Um, now more and more people are, doing that off of a uh, hundred fans, you know, who are paying a, a premium price. And so um, that's really interesting. I also think that, you know, we're seeing influencers able to monetize these audiences in so many different interesting ways, you know, cameo, uh, you know, mm. they raised, you know, another $50 million, you know, whatever, six months back. Uh, Patreon has yeah. 3 million plus 
um, you know, paid subscribers, YouTube and Facebook and Twitch all have, um, you know, subscription, paid subscription features and digital gifts. Um, Twitch obviously has had it for a long, long time. You know, we talked a bit about merch being a big part of things as well as um, a lot of these influencers creating kind of their own, uh, you know, books and, and, and you know, they're you know, making films and uh, they're going on tour. Um, they're also, I think, being a bit savvy in um, cultivating a direct line of communication to fans so they're not completely at the mercy of the algorithm, um, you know, whatever platform they're on. You know, yep. so we're, we're seeing the rise of, you know, um, companies like Community, which is the text message-based startup. You know, um, Ashton Kutcher is a big investor, but, you know, you see tons of influencers giving out their phone number, and it's um, most of them, uh, the, the platform they're using is Community, and it allows them to kind of sort their audiences. It creates a CMS so they can communicate to them directly, um, you know, and then of course, you know, big in the gamer communities, you know, the discord app and, um, you know, there's a lot of great tools out there that allow, um, you know, these, these creators to, to cultivate their audiences and monetize them a number of different ways and really serve their fans first and foremost and, and, and not be reliant upon the brands. Yeah, definitely feels like, um, you know, now that you brought that up, there are a way more, you know, sort of tools for brands to, I mean, sorry, for creators to, you know, engage directly and not be beholden to uh, one platform. I've seen more and more creators be way savvier in this space as well. Yeah. When I say things sped up as well, like uh, uh, there was a great article this week on Vox.com about a famous TikToker that has already sort of burnt himself out. And I felt like, oh, wow. wow, yeah, you know, it's it's sort of like way faster than, you know, you, know, you started hearing stories about YouTube burnout, like in the last two years and YouTube's yeah. 15 years old. And now like TikTok within a year or two, there's already like people feeling burnout. And now let's get back to Epic Signal. You founded this agency, right? Yep. Yep. So it was acquired by Mechanism, which was your employer before you went to, you know, it's changed to full screen, all that sort of stuff. Yep. What's the difference this time? Like, is Epic Signal a little bit more focused? Tell, tell me a little bit uh, about it. I worked at Mechanism for six years, and I've known Jason, the CEO and president, um, I mean, for the entirety of my career, really. Because um, when my first internship at uh, the agency I worked at before Mechanism, um, I was actually Jason's intern. And, and then he went on to... Um, become a partner at Mechanism, and uh, and then a year and a half later, he hired me. So we we've been really close for a long time. And so, um, you know, after full screen, I went and I I started Epic Signal, and I was really just focused on two things primarily. One was, um, you know, helping brands, um, you know, implement best practices and you know with their content strategy on YouTube and influencer marketing, and that was the niche I kind of carved out for myself. Um, and, you know, we grew, we, you know, I, I had a small team and, um, I did not, uh, want to be running an agency on my own. It was, you know, it's a, it's a lot of work. Uh, dude, I just left an agency with my wife. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? yeah, you get pulled away from like, 
the fun stuff, you know, which is like doing the strategy and doing the work and, and you, you end up having a lot of conversations about contracts and finance and, you know, all this stuff that is not as fun. And so, yeah, I was looking to sell and actually had a few offers and was talking to Jason, getting his advice and then kind of at the 11th hour when I was about to sign with somebody else, he's like, just come back. And so, um, yeah, we, you know, so, so, uh, Epic signal was acquired by mechanism and were essentially wholly owned subsidiary. When we got acquired, we broadened our offerings because, you know, mechanism is a big, um, I mean, big ish. It's a, it's an independent creative agency doing a lot of integrated campaigns for brands and um so as part of that we had to you know service brands on the community management front um you know doing uh you know content creation community management social listening reporting um you know helping brands a lot on kind of navigating strategic partnerships um etc uh so so it, it really has grown since to be full service social agency i would say um in terms of like our point of differentiation i I definitely lean into you know we've got a unique uh i think point of view and level of expertise just in social video as a whole whether that's influencer marketing or kind of social video content strategy and best practices and and that type of thing so um that's really long-winded way of saying now, now, now you know, we're part of an integrated agency and essentially act as the social media team. But I, I do think that that foundation is, is very much still alive. Yeah. I think it's a great sort of combination of, you know, sort of expertise on across the board that, you know, a lot of agencies need, you know, I came from big, you know, media buying agencies who tend to just try to integrate their current talent into you know, understanding new opportunities. And I always felt like it wasn't exactly the best of results. Yeah. And there was also communications between divisions that wasn't also great as well, but I'm sure that's, uh, you know, gotten better. I am, I'll, I'll admittedly, I've been outside of that agency ecosystem for quite some time now. So pretty sure it's, it's gotten better. I'm going to surprise you with like a last question. What's exciting you these days? Like, I know like influencer marketing is doing well and all that sort of stuff, but like are there platforms that you're like, Oh, that's gonna, that has potential, uh, you know, like bite was launched a couple of weeks yeah. ago, you know, TikTok's name of the game these days, but, uh, you know, it's always about the next thing. Is there anything that like, you're like, Whoa, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on this. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's really fun and exciting in general right now, because like, I feel like for the first time in a while, there's, um, real, kind of viable alternatives to, you know, historically it's been, you know, all about, you know, YouTube, Facebook, a little bit of Twitter kind of is generally Mm -hmm. like when you, you know, working with big brands on social, that's kind of like the, the lens through which a lot of things end up kind of be being looked at. And Mm -hmm. with TikTok, I think TikTok's interesting more than anything in that it's, um, whether TikTok is a platform, you know, stays, gets banned, who knows what's going to happen. I think that format, that vertical video, 60 seconds set to a song, 
the the emphasis is on uh, the for you page and not your followers like that format whatever that's called um i i, I feel like there needs to be a, a term for it. it needs to be coined um i think that that is here to stay and i think it's only going to get bigger like you know we have that we have Triller, there's, um, you know, Facebook has been experimenting with a competitor, Lasso, there's Wildfire, Rizzle, Rumble, um, Rumble, which is started by uh, Rizzle. And then, you know, there's kind of ones that are slightly different variations on it, like Tangi, which was launched by a, a Google um, incubator. It's almost kind of like when, you know, Twitter launched, they kind of introduced the 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 like status update like you know eventually that was adopted by you know virtually every single social platform and i kind of look at that format as kind of something comparable it's like you know, or, or when stories was launched you know it's like it, that feature gets adopted and it becomes a thing how that kind of evolves and changes advertising i think is really interesting i think in particular like when you look at these platforms, the, the differences on the surface seem subtle, but I think have very big ramifications. Like, you know, one is, you know, the emphasis on the for you page. So it's, it's it, the algorithm is placing a priority on individual pieces of content and it's less, do I have a big following and I can just kind of push content out to them? The, the, the variability is much, much bigger. And I think it gives people the opportunity to grow. And I think it gives, uh, it places an emphasis on, on content creation and, and being unique. Um, then I think the other piece that's really fascinating is that these platforms sound on is essential. Like they've built the apps with, you know, you having earbuds on in mind. And historically that just has not been the case. In fact, you know, working in social, it's like ground into you almost just for like the last few years that like you need to build, you know, all your, your, you know, video ads um, with the assumption that uh, people have, you know, sound off. And this totally changes things. The experiences, um, to, to, to really understand the experience, you have to have sound on. And everybody's yep. creating with that understanding. These platforms, you know, TikTok, Triller, et cetera, they're kind of freed up from the bias towards, like, recency. You know, um, the For You page, it's surfacing up content and doesn't show, like, the date. Yeah. I think they're doing that really deliberately so that they can get people hooked and drawn in and they're not predisposed, you know, because, I mean, everybody's predisposed to be like, well, what's new? If this is old, yeah. I don't, I don't want to watch it. And, um, and, and these platforms are kind of freeing themselves up from that. And so those three elements, kind of the, the priority on the For You page, where it's not about who, you know, you're following, the, you know, sound on being essential to the experience, and then the, the freeing themselves up from um, you know, recency are, are kind of evolving social, I think, pretty dramatically. Yeah, it feels like recency is sort of the answer to how the advantage of, of platforms like YouTube, right? Where, you know, old content yeah. goes on forever. And, uh, you know, I, I often talk here about, you know, we always talk about creating, you know, evergreen content. Yeah. And 
you know, I've had channels that have been like years old, just blow up. And yeah, um, yeah it's, it's been really interesting. I, lo- I love your, that, that perspective. One thing that I've noticed recently is um, the storification of the internet. Like everything is stories now, like literally LinkedIn just announced stories. Yeah. The feed is almost dead in a way, right? It's all about, you know, just the, the constant, whatever, like a different kind of feed uh, of stories uh, on a constant basis. So it's really interesting how that's evolving uh, the internet or how we consume social. It's less about that tweet or that, you know, Facebook update. It's more about like that quick 10 second glimpse into my life. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the creators that I follow, like it's more than 10 seconds. It's usually two hours worth of conversations, but yeah, it's really interesting to see. Uh, Brendan, what is, thank you very much. Obviously what's the best way for people to engage and, and, and follow you? Oh yeah. Thank you. I really appreciate it. So really just type in my full name and then pick your platform. But, um, (laughs) My name is Brendan Gann, and that's B-R-E-N-D-A-N, and then Gann is G-A-H-A-N. You can find me, you know, I've got a blog, I post sporadically, and I'm, I keep meaning to launch a, a newsletter. Um, I'll get around to that soon, but um, <laughs> my blog is, is a good place to go. I post probably the most frequently on LinkedIn, so, you know, just yep. look at Brennan Gann on LinkedIn and then Twitter um, as well at Brennan Gann, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-G-A-H-A-N. Awesome. I've been waiting for a newsletter for years. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I think I've posted, I think I've done it twice, but I swear my goal is this year. Like I, I like, I literally, I think I have like 50 pages of like uh, blog posts that I've like yep. been noodling with forever. And like this year, my goal has just been like, just don't overthink it publish more and yeah so I, I will get to that i've been having that that thought for it i have like so many sporadic notes over the years that i'm like oh i have this huge rant but i've never been a writer so it's sort of very self-conscious to myself to sort of like you know put myself out there like that so it's i know i shouldn't but whatever <laughs> thanks again it was an awesome conversation hopefully we get to chill out uh, together in whatever social event uh, that brings us together Well, that was fun. I'm so happy I finally got to talk to him. It was uh, somebody, and and I, I sort of said in, in, the, in the interview, I love the fact that, you know, producing this podcast, when I get to talk to people that I've admired from afar and socially stalked. Yeah, that was, that was, that was a strong bromance in the making there, for sure. <laughs> what did you think, Tom? Yeah, it was amazing, pretty much. You know, from what I can tell, you pretty much spoke to the guy who invented <laughs> influencer marketing. You know, he was talking about, you know, his first, I think he might have even been an intern at the time when he was talking about, um, hey, why don't we ask these YouTubers to, you know, let's get smoshed down here and see if they want to make some videos, you know, and that's, and, you know, back when I started in, in 2012, Smosh were the, they were the biggest channel on the planet by a long, long way. So, you know, he was way ahead of his time then. So, yeah, you're, you're talking to a, a real OG there. So, yeah, incredible conversation. His perspective and having, you know, working with influencers since the beginning is amazing. I think it's, it's, it gives you a sort of like broad overview of, of the industry and his insights of what's going on and how effective that type of marketing is still right now. And it's, it's getting, it's going through a little bit of a growing pains 
if people, you know, stick to it and understand that things are going to evolve and get a little bit more regulated, you know, the heyday of anything goes is kind of over. Definitely agree with him when you said that the days of people kind of being ignorant to regulation have got to, have got to be over if they're not already over. So yeah, yeah it, you can't just bury your head in the sand and maybe just stick like hashtag ad somewhere in yeah. the description or something. Yeah. It's, it's way, way past that point, you know, to the fact when he was talking about the numbers that some of these influence was doing, you know, he, he was talking about the Jeffrey star line that did like a million units in 30 minutes. It's yeah. just absolutely, absolutely just mind blowing. I was actually talking to a talent kind of agent yesterday and she was talking about some of the numbers and talent that I cannot mention, but, my eyes were just watering. <laughs> it was like whatever you think would be an out, an outrageous and egregious, egregious amount of money to make, you can pretty much triple it. That's what these n- mm-hmm. kind of numbers were. So yeah, this is a whole new, a whole new ball game, really. And uh, mm-hmm. and uh, my favorite quote was actually not a quote from Brendan, but one that he said was John Green's quote, where he said, "The influencers are building a world without you," and that's you know. <laughs> so on the money (laughs) equally as on the money now as it as it was you know i think he said it was about three or four or five years ago but that's just so true like brands are so far behind the times when it comes to you know actually connecting with audiences it's uh it's no it's no wonder why um that you know they're flocking to work with and paying so much to work with these influencers yep Yep, yep. Awesome. Again, a big thank you to Brendan for, you know, taking the time and thank you for listening in, in these, you know, fun times. My fingers are in the air saying quote, you know, between the fun stuff. Thank you very much to Buddy for sponsoring the show. TubeBuddy is the best tool to optimize your YouTube channel. If you're managing one channel, if you're managing multiple channels, It has been a lifesaver in my work on a daily basis. Thank you very much, uh, the team, TubeBuddy, for sponsoring the show. Tom, we have a special offer, right? Yes, you can get an exclusive Video Insiders multi-channel license discount by visiting videoinsiders.fm forward slash TubeBuddy. Thank you, TubeBuddy. Tom, it was a pleasure. Keep yourself safe and wash your hands. Always. If you're all still listening at this point, please, please give us a little bit of a shout out online, a review on the, uh, the old Apple podcast. If you're listening on Apple, there's no real reviews on other platforms. So obviously share the episode with people in your ecosystem that would really appreciate the insights from this episode have yourself a awesome secluded week tom thank you stay healthy everyone